Our friend Joe Ziemba, the author, historian, and podcaster of When Football Was Football, the Chicago Cardinals expert, he joins us once again for Jersey Number 66. And it's all coming up with his expert stories in just one moment. This is the Pigskin Daily History Dispatch, a podcast that covers the anniversaries of American football events throughout history on a day-to-day basis. This is your host, Darren Hayes, and we are podcasting from America's North Shore, bringing you the memories of the gridiron, one day at a time. So in taking the snap from the SportsHistoryNetwork.com and handing off to PigskinDispatch.com, let's go no huddle through today's football history headlines. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, my football friends. This is Darren Hayes of pigskindispatch.com, and welcome once again to the Pigpen. And we have another bonus edition, our Football by Numbers series, jersey number 66 today, and we have our good friend Joe Ziemba to join us. Joe Ziemba, welcome back to the Pigpen for this jersey 66. Aaron, this uh, number 66 is quite intriguing. And some of the legends we're going to meet today include the meanest man in football, a guy who was selected as having the worst body in NFL history, another mean man who actually appeared in a movie with the monkeys. And we have a guy who exchanged game films with Elvis Presley, not Elvis Gerbeck, Elvis Presley. So <laughs> We're looking forward to uh, an exciting program with you today, Darren. And thanks again for having me on. Wow. You, uh, we appreciate you coming on, but your, your teases there have uh, sent me to all directions here. So I, I'm intrigued to, to hear the stories. I'm sure our listeners are too. So I guess we'll start off sort of where we always do uh, with our pro football hall of fame uh, and their selections of who wore number 66. And I'm going to mention the first one because they're saying that Nick Buonacani, uh wore the number 66. And in our uh, off-air conversation, Joe, you and I, neither one of us could find where Nick Bonacani wore number 66. So we're probably going to dismiss him uh, from our 66 conversation, if that's okay. No, I agree. I could not find him anywhere either. So good call. Okay. And uh, so the other ones that the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame has listed are Larry Little, Gene Hickerson, Bulldog Turner, great name, Billy Shaw, Ray Nitschke, and uh, Alan Fanica, who will be enshrined on August 8th, 2021, with, as part of the 2021 class, uh, is on there also. Yeah. So good, good selection of uh, Hall of Famers to talk about. I think I have a good one to start with. And, and Darren, have you ever heard a Chuck Norris joke? A Chuck, Chuck Nor- I've heard Norris of Chuck the- Norris, but I don't know if I joke about him. He might karate chop me or well, something. He, he's a tough guy. I mean, some of the things that go around about Chuck Norris said that he's the only man alive who can dribble a bowling ball. <laughs> and if you want to see a list of Chuck Norris's enemies, just check the extinct species list. <laughs> or Chuck Norris never used a spell check on his computer. If he happens to misspell a word, Oxford will change the meaning. But before there was Chuck Norris, we had Ray Nitschke, linebacker, Green Bay Packers. And way back when, this is 40 years ago, even well, I think back to the 60s, some columnists were writing about Ray Nitschke as if he were Chuck Norris. For example, they're going to make a movie about Ray Nitschke's life, but Bela Lugosi was busy. So 40-some years ago, that was a horror star, Bela Lugosi. <laughs> How come Ray Nitschke didn't get cold 
playing him 13 below weather in Green Bay? Well, because his straight jacket was fur-lined. And one more. <laughs> Ray Nitschke plays middle maniac for the Green Bay Packers, and his contract calls for a guy to wipe the phone off his, phone off his mouth between plays. So before Chuck Norris, we had Ray Nitschke of the Packers, a guy who grew up in the Chicago area who was orphaned at a young age, raised by his older brothers, and all he did through high school and college, it seems, was getting fights. But he finally found a, a way to put that aggression in place on the football field. Intercepted 25 passes, uh, played for Green Bay from 58 through 72 and more. Number 66, all except his rookie year on his way to making seven all-pro teams, won two Super Bowls. But I was surprised, Darren, that he only was named to one Pro Bowl as far as I could find. Yeah, that is surprising uh, for, you know, the standout player that he was during his career. And, you know, his name is, uh, you know, synonymous even to this day, you know, half a century later with, um, you know, just great uh, linebacking. You know, he's right up there with the, the Buckuses of the world and in, uh, in linebacker history. Um, he was, yeah. in fact, he was uh, also named as, uh, I think, the Sporting News as number 18 on the list of 100 greatest players in NFL history. And, and he was also in, uh, voted as the NFL's top linebacker all time, uh, 1969. But you mentioned Butkus, and Ray Nitschke named his dog Butkus in honor <laughs> of his uh, linebacking counterpart. But he's the guy who also appeared in the movie Head, which starred the monkeys. And he had this, this mean look about him, and uh, he tackled Peter Tork, one of the guitarists, I guess, throughout the movie. I haven't seen it. And pretty typical for a... Uh, a guy who has a bridge in Green Bay named after him to this day. You know, you know, I do. Now that you say that, I do remember that monkeys movie and and Peter Tork. Uh, Peter Tork was the one I believe that wore the uh, the uh, winter hat all the time. Um, sort of the wavy hair, taller fella. And I do remember Nitschke uh, tackle. Now that you say that, so I might, I might have to go back and relive that movie again. <laughs> so we have. We have, you know, a bunch of mean guys in this week wearing number 66. <clears throat> and you, you can't go very far without mentioning the name Conrad Dobler. I'm, I'm swaying away from the Hall of Fame guys just for a second. Okay. But uh, Conrad Dobler played for uh, the Cardinals, both in St. Louis, then he went to New Orleans and Buffalo. But he has uh, uh, quite a record as being a mean guy. He did make uh, three consecutive Pro Bowl appearances. Uh, four times all pro and just a guy that uh, seemed to be known for being kind of mean. In fact, he was called by uh, sports illustrated. He was on the cover at one time as the pro football's dirtiest player, which was describing him in 1977. And it mentioned he had some dirty deeds. Like he once made a player cry. He pioneered the chop block and the head slap, both of which are now outlawed. And he once bit the finger of Vikings' Doug Sutherland, to which he explained, he put his fingers through my face mask, and I don't think they were there to stroke my mustache. So <laughs> I bite one finger in my life, and I don't even chew on it. The legend grew from there. So that was Conrad Dobler. I, I think Another Mike Tyson friend. might have borrowed that same line when he was fought Holyfield. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that is interesting. 
All right. So we have uh, another kind of uh, guy from the Hall of Fame, though, Bulldog Turner, who was known as a gentleman off the field. He was a rancher in Texas, but Bulldog Turner played for the Bears 13 years, all with number 66. He was eight times all pro, and he was fast uh, for a lineman. He was good size, 6'1", 237 back in the 40s. But in college, he ran a 100-yard dash in full football gear in 10.8 seconds. So when he was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1966, he was only the third center. He was a member of the all-1940s teams. In 1942, he had eight, interception, eight interceptions, including uh, one of his best interceptions was in the 1943-40 title game. When the Bears beat Washington 73-0, to he intercepted a pass and ran it all the way back for a touchdown. His coach, George Hellis, called him the smartest player I had in 40 years. And um, later, Hellis also talked about Bulldog being a little mischievous on the field. He said, one time, uh, I guess, Bulldog had a couple of too many cocktails. And uh, there's a story one night that he fell from a third-floor window on a hotel an awning broke his fall, however, and as Bulldog brushed himself off, a policeman ran up and said to him, hey, hey, what are you doing, guy? What happened here? Bulldog says, I don't know. I just got here myself. So that's another <laughs> one of our mean guys, Hall of Famers. <laughs> wow. Hey, you you uh, dig up some real classics, Joe. Those are, those are great stories. <laughs> wow. They really uh, tell the, about the character of these guys, but. Uh, yeah, Bull, Bulldog. I mean, he he's another one that has some uh, real uh, credits to his his name. You know, like you said, those four Pro Bowls, seven times as an All Pro, uh, four NFL championships. You know, I I think uh, it's pretty safe to say that uh, both uh, he and Nitschke uh, are on our list. I think we can come in agreement on that. Um, yeah, and I Dobler. Maybe we gotta we gotta wait a little bit on here. Uh, yeah, but we'll, we'll put him on a standby list. Might be a little early for him yet. Yeah, it's going to be uh, tough getting 10 spots. There's a lot of talent, and including a couple more mean guys. The next one I'd like to share is called the Big Nasty, Kevin Kogan, 6'7", 317-pound lineman uh, for Dallas and Oakland. And he also played for San Francisco, Miami, and San Diego, made three Pro Bowls. But he wore number 66 for all 14 years of his career. He was also called the meanest man in football at the time, which he didn't understand. He was an all-around athlete in high school. In fact, he started out as a catcher on the baseball team at 6'7", but they had to move him to first base because the umpire could not see over him to call the pitches. <laughs> but I think he may be one of the only folks that was ever ejected from a Pro Bowl All-Star game. And what happened was he... <laughs> was good at taunting people and during the 1998 pro bowl he uh kicked a defensive and neil smith in the wrong place which kept a mini ride i guess smith was also ejected for throwing punches but grogan said there was really a method to his meanness on the field he said if you start working these guys a little bit and let them implode their game is done they're supposed to be rushing the quarterback and they end up forgetting all, all about that stuff. There's a lot of little games inside the game and that's one of them. So he used his uh, ability to aggravate opponents over 213 games with 
five teams over a long, long career. So number 66, Kevin Gogan. Not sure even despite three Pro Bowls, he'll make our top 10 because it's going to be tough competition today. So yeah, he, very interesting in Kevin Gogan. Now, he has th- three Pro Bowls and the two Super Bowl championships. I think yeah. uh, he might be a candidate to go on early. What do you think? I think he would be, yeah. Okay, so he will be our third one that we'll put on our list here. Uh, and uh, who would you like to speak about next? Well, just one more mean guy. And then, Darren, I promise we'll be done with the mean guys for today. <laughs> Bill Berge, William Earl Berge. Maybe it's pronounced Berge. I am not sure. I apologize. Uh, he spent 12 years in the league with Cincinnati and Philadelphia, all wearing number 66. He was six times all pro and appeared in five Pro Bowls. And he was on the second team of the all-1970s decade team. And he's a member of the Eagles Hall of Fame. And uh, he was also in college. He was voted the top player in the history of Arkansas State, coming from a smaller school. But uh, part of his career, he was involved with a contract dispute with Cincinnati. In fact, the team sued him when he threatened to jump to a new league way back in 1974. At the time, he was making about $38,000 a year, and then he was offered $525,000 for three years. So the team sued him, trying to hold him to their contract. He never did jump to the new league, but they traded him to, to the Eagles that year. But he had a bit of a reputation as a mean player as well, and never was quite sure how it started. Uh, some of the things that were called, uh, he described him over the years were uh, the man's a mean one, an animal on defense, he betters opponents, he's a cheap shotter, he's a dirty player. And of course, he said, I'm sure there are millions of guys with the same temperament as me and who dive into the work just as intensely as I do, he said at the time. So, Bill, we uh, think you might be close to making our top 10 today. Again, six times an All-Pro during his 12-year career, and uh, quite a, quite a vicious linebacker as well, a middle linebacker. I'll tell you what. I wonder just those descriptions that, that you said that opponents and others were saying about him. Some of those almost sounded like the lyrics to the the Grinch song from about that same era of the <laughs> late right. 1960s, early 70s. Oh, he's mean the mean one, one Mister Bergie. So, <laughs> wow, those are some mean players and. Uh, some uh, real characters in football and some great players in football. Uh, now, now with Bill Berge, I think he's a, probably another one we could probably put on the list here early, don't you? Yeah, I think so, especially with six six Pro Bowls there. Right, absolutely, and the, the All Pros as well. So, yeah, good good picks there. So that takes us up to, to four gentlemen we've placed on our, our list so far in our greatest number sixty sixes. And okay, okay, so we're we're through the mean guys. Now I'm, I'm interested to see what direction you want to go next. Yeah. How, how about some of the hall of famers? I noticed there's a guy in the list that's uh, from the Steelers. I'm not sure if anyone on this call is uh, with a Steelers <laughs> fan, but uh, we've yeah. got Allen there, a nine time <laughs> pro bowler, uh, won a super bowl in the hall of fame this year, as you mentioned. And so uh, you may have some local color to add to that, Darren. Well, uh, Fanica was definitely, he was sort of that uh, ideal stealer guard, you know, um, very, very athletic. Uh, you know, I think Bill Cower is the one that drafted him. 
and uh, the late nineties. And as a matter of fact, he was, and th- that's the kind of uh, offense that Cowher wanted. He wanted that power running game and the guards that could, uh, you know, pull and get out in front and, you know, get blocks on the outside, get to that second level quickly. And Fanica, he checked all those boxes and he, w- he was a great stealer guard. And we were really sad, uh, when uh, he left in free agency and went uh, over to the New York Jets uh, near the end of his career. It's a similar situation we have right now with uh, David DeCastro uh, no longer on the Steelers. They're sort of that same mold. You know, Fanica, probably a much, much better player than DeCastro. Uh, but uh, yeah, it's just uh, sad to see these, these good guards leave the Steelers. And uh, Fanica was definitely one of them. There was an interesting statistic about when he did leave the team. And he had made seven Pro Bowls with the Steelers. And if you think of that seven Pro Bowls, that was five Pro Bowls more than all the other Steeler guards had compiled over the previous 49 seasons. So it showed his impact uh, on the team. And you had some good good guards in there, too, in those Steelers teams. Yeah. Well, at least in the 70s you did. I'm not sure about the prior to that. But, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> but probably weren't any from that uh, mixed uh, – uh, Steelers Cardinals team of the, the 40s, but we won't get into that. Oh, again. <laughs> right. 1944. Yeah. The card pits. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. So, somebody I know had a podcast, I think, that said that that was the worst Cardinals team ever. So, <laughs> somebody yeah, on this podcast. To choose from. <laughs> yes. Somebody on this podcast, probably the, one of the worst Steelers teams ever, too. And there's a yeah. lot to pick from there, too. <laughs> okay. So, so interesting think- uh, to see Fanica's uh, induction this year. And, the whole yep. thing richly deserved. Most definitely. Most definitely. We're Steeler Nation is very excited. There's five Steelers going in in, in one year. I don't think that's ever that probably never oh. happened again. Uh, but there's three from the 2020 class uh, with B- Bill Cower, Troy Palomalo, and Donnie Shell. And then on the 2021 class is Alan Fanica and the player personnel director of the 70s, uh, uh, Bill Nunn who uh, drafted mm. people like John Stallworth and I believe Elsie Greenwood, maybe Mean Joe Green, so from some of those uh, traditionally black colleges. So mm-hmm. uh, very deserving for all those fellas. And the Steelers are playing in the Hall of Fame game this year. So it's a quite a Steelers oh, weekend in Canton. Mm. So, but uh, Alan Fanick, I think he's probably another one who goes right to the top of the list here and goes on, I believe. I think we have to put him on there and, you know, right. another guy that uh, probably really deserves our attention is Billy Shaw. We're going back to when he started in 1961. He only played nine years, but wore number 66 every year for Buffalo. In fact, he's the only player in the Hall of Fame who never played in the National Football League. So he was on the all-time oh. AFL team. And also he's been on the name of the Bulls 50th anniversary team, Bill Bulls. Bills. <laughs> Of course, member of the Hall of Fame since 99, but uh, a lot of folks might remember him for the Billy Shaw rule. And the Billy Shaw rule came about for those coming into the Hall of Fame to remember always, always remember who to thank for your induction. Billy gave a wonderful speech, apparently, in 59, but forgot to thank his wife. And when he got sat down, his daughter said, "Eh, you uh, (laughs) forgot to mention your bride. (laughs) <laughs> and a couple stories were that Billy asked to get back up there on his hands and knees, and he apologized to his wife. 
And another story says that Eric Dickerson covered for him. And after Billy had asked him, can you say something? How could I do that? So now <laughs> all the inductees are reminded of the Billy Shaw rule when you do your induction speech at the Hall of Fame. <laughs> I think all of us husbands around the world uh, have all been in that position at one time or another, not at the Hall of Fame speech, but <laughs> something where you'd like to uh, take some time back and uh, make a mention of the significant other. That's for sure. That's right. Uh, uh, Billy was uh, all pro eight times, so um, we might consider him for our list as well. Yeah, I, I think uh, he's a definite shoe in also. So that takes us to six, you know, in the all pros. I mean, he's right up there with anybody on all pros. So very good player. And I, I didn't know that. he. So he is the only one in the Pro Football Hall of Fame that never played in the NFL. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Okay. Um, I did. Go ahead. I, I did want to mention uh, another guard who uh, has been called the greatest downfield blocker in the history of pro football. He's the guy we mentioned earlier who exchanged game films with Elvis Presley. So an interesting story is Gene Hickerson uh, played his entire career of 15 years with Cleveland and he wore the number 66 uh, every year. He was a six-time Pro Bowler, made All-Pro Team seven times, and went into the Hall of Fame in 2007. So his 202 games played are still fourth in Brown's history from what I've been able to find. And, um, and it just seems he was just such a, 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 such a strong presence in that line. Uh, that Sam Huff, uh, the linebacker, once said about him, you know, Gene Hickerson, well, don't tell that SOB, but he was the best offensive lineman I ever played against. And Jim Brown, the great Jim Brown, was the one who called uh, his blocking buddy the greatest downfield blocker in the history of pro football. Back to our wacky part of the story that he was apparently from Memphis. He was friends with a fellow Memphis resident named Elvis Presley. And he called Elvis Eli and would send him films of the Browns game after the game so Elvis could watch them down at Graceland. So that's one we haven't seen before of an NFL player being good friends with Elvis Presley. Yeah, when you're friends with the king, that, that gives you a little bit of respect here. I, I was wondering how that connection was going to come. I'm like, boy, what? I was trying to think of how was Elvis's connection to the Cleveland Browns <laughs> and with the Memphis connection. That makes perfect sense. Uh, I think uh, Hickerson's probably another one that's just, uh, you know, probably no argument from either of us that he should be, yeah. be on the list. So uh, that takes us to seven already, and we're not even through all the Hall of Famers yet. Yeah, we've got to talk about Larry Little, who was an undrafted uh, player in 1967. He signed with San Diego because they offer him the most to come try out of $750. <laughs> Ended up playing 14 years, 12 of those with number 66, five Pro Bowls, seven times an All-Pro, and won two Super Bowls. He has been named to the 1970s All-Decade team. He's in the Dolphins honor roll and, of course, was elected to the Hall of Fame in 1993. Sporting News in 1999 called him, uh, well, named him as the 79th player on its 100 greatest players list. And apparently he was the only player at the time to be named the AFC's outstanding offensive lineman three straight times uh, by the Players Association. So he was 
not only respected on the field, but off the field. And there's a nice quote from the Miami Herald after he retired that said, Larry Little's value to the Dolphins can't be measured strictly in terms of all pro honors or longevity. Instead, integrity, honesty, and hard work were his calling cards. So that's Larry Little. Again, one that's hard to ignore for our top 10 list today. Yeah, I, boy, I, I don't think he can be denied either. So <laughs> that, that, that'll take us up to, to eight players. Now, I was always under the impression that Larry Little was um, – a, a selection by by Don Shula bring him in, but being in Miami already in 1969, Shula would have still been with the Colts in that uh, Super Bowl three game. Oh yeah, that's so, right. So he was he was already in Miami before Shula got there. Then yeah, he arrived in '69. Hmm. So I I did not know that. So learn something hmm. here. All right, so we have uh, eight eight gentlemen already locked up for our, our number sixty six. So, and we've got a lot of more great players that are not in the Hall of Fame yet uh, to yeah. talk about. And I'm not sure uh, what direction we want to go to next, but I'll let you lead yeah. the way. All right. Well, I've got four other linemen, I believe, who, in my opinion, really probably deserve Hall of Fame recognition. And I'm going to start with Joe Jacoby, the big six foot seven, 305 pounder that uh, played his entire career with Washington. Won three Super Bowls, four-time All-Pro, three times first-team All-Pro, and he was elected to the All-1980s team. But he was uh, called the still today the greatest Washington player who's not in the Hall of Fame. He was, of course, a member of that famous Hogs uh, dominant offensive line. Uh, There's a great quote about him from the Los Angeles Times talking about him playing back in the day, this is from 1992, it said, you watch Jacoby in the line of scrimmage, he reminds you of a wily old boxer. He has all the moves. He makes some, but he's never in a hurry. Just feel sorry for the guy across from him. Because you know in a minute, Joe is going to lift him in the air like King Kong with Fay Ray, hang him out to kick and squirm for a minute until the play goes by, then drop him with a thud and wander calmly back to the huddle. What a great description of an offensive lineman. <laughs> we usually don't get that type of recognition. <laughs> wow. That is, that's quite an imaginative description. That's for sure. By that, <laughs> that columnist. Uh, I, you know, I'd, I'd love to put Jacoby on, but you said you have four. So maybe I better pause here a second and hear who yeah. else you got to tell us about. Let me give you a couple more. One is uh, Harley Sewell, who goes back to starting in 1953. He played 11 years, 10 of those with Detroit, and he wore number 66 all those years. He was six times on the all-pro teams. Uh, He was a smaller guy. He was only 230 pounds even back 60, 70 years ago. That's still pretty small for the line, but he had a great quickness that allowed him to clear out bigger defenders before they got set. And he also volunteered to play on special teams. And one year he was credited with 85% of the tackles on the kickoff unit. He was named to the uh, College Football Hall of Fame in the year 2000 after he graduated from Texas. And they talked about his size quite a bit. He said one year he tried to bulk up to 235 from 230. And uh, he said, they were a negative about me weighing 235 in training camp. You had to lead plays around. If you couldn't run, you got run over. If they ran over me a couple times, 
Will I be back in Texas looking for roughnecking jobs? So Harley at 230 pounds, six times all pro. We got to consider whether he's going to make our top 10 today. Yeah. Now, now did I hear you right? Did you say that the one season he made 85% of the tackles on the kickoff team on the kickoff team? That's remarkable for a lineman. Wow. Yeah. I mean, for anybody, that's amazing, but uh, <laughs> that's quite a bit. Wow. That is, yeah. got a little bit of range there to do that. So, hmm, very impressive. But well, who, who else do you have? Well, next we're going to look at Jack Stroud. Jack came in the league in 1953, played all 12 years with the Giants, wearing number 66. And again, here's the guy who made the All-Pros team six times, three Pro Bowls, one NFL championship, known for being a great pulling guard. And another great athlete, he was 6'1", 235 in the NFL, but in college um, at Tennessee, he actually won the javelin throw in the Southeastern Conference twice, then spent uh, two years in the service, and was known as one of the strongest men in football. Uh, Talked about the way he would work out. This is before we had Nautilus and a lot of great things like that. But when he first came into the league, uh, Coach Steve Owen took one look at him and said, what the hell am I going to do in the pros with a 215-pound tackle? So he got him up to 230 and increased a little by little because he could do strange things like one-arm push-ups before Rocky Balboa. So those were his feats of strength as one of the strongest men in football, even if he only did weigh 215 pounds at one time in his career. Another one, very impressive. I, I didn't know ever. I don't think I've ever heard of him before, but uh, you uh, really uh, made a great case for him as well. And I, I guess you still have one more, if I, my count is right, right? Yeah, we've got one more, and this is a center. Tom Nalen played his entire career of 14 years with Denver, wearing number 66, five times all pro, won two Super Bowls. Again, as a center, he was known for his quickness. He was 6'3", 286, and he's a member of the Broncos Hall of Fame. So during his tenure as a center on uh, the Denver Broncos, they had six different running backs who had 1,000-yard rushing seasons behind him. So uh, some good statistics there, Super Bowl winner, five times uh, pro bowler as well. So we have Mr. Nalen then to consider. And I remember him. He was, he was quite the beast also. Very, very well respected. Well, I'll tell you what, you really gave us a, a lot of, uh, of gentlemen to think about for these last two spots. Um, the only one I can even add and probably doesn't even shine a light to these other ones is maybe like David Deal, uh, the guard uh, tackle that uh, most famously for the New York Giants. Uh, and you've stayed there his whole career from 2003 to 2013. He had uh, one Pro Bowl and two Super Bowl rings on him, but I don't think he's got enough uh, credentials to uh, to make this list with this illustrious cast that you've presented to us here. Um, yeah, and then he was the NFL Man of the Year in 2012, and perhaps even more importantly, he went to a high school that I went to in Chicago called Brother Rice High School. He went a few decades after I did, and of course made the school proud, whereas I was asked to leave after two years. The brothers got tired of beating me, which they did uh, every day, whether I liked it or not. But Dave <laughs> Deal, of course, is a, <laughs> a great player for a long time. Well, you know, I take that back. I, I do have one more. And I mentioned him a little bit earlier. And that's David DeCastro. 
Um, ah, yeah. You know, David, uh, we're, we're not sure if his career is done yet. It's done in Pittsburgh, uh, at least for this year. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's another one of those guards that we said is sort of in that same mold as uh, Fanica. Uh, came in with the Steelers as their first round draft pick in 2012. Uh, played all the way through last year and has sort of a, a, a mysterious uh, reason he was cut. We're not sure if it's injury related. Uh, he's what he's saying. Uh, Steelers camp saying it's for other reasons. I don't know. It could be salary cap reasons. Not sure. That, I'm sure that'll all clear out uh, here in the next few months. But he had six uh, Pro Bowls so far in his career and two All-Pro seasons himself. And he might not be done yet. He, he might sign on with another team and be able to play yeah. in the coming years. So it's another one to probably think about. Yeah. There's a guy that's not only has the most career interceptions for a linebacker, but he was the one we alluded to earlier, had the worst body in the history of the National Football League. And he was awarded that by none other than the best-selling author, George Plumpton. So we're talking about Don Shinnick, who played his entire career with the Baltimore Colts, excuse me, 13 years, 12 with the number 66. He was a three-time NFL champion and only once made all pro despite that. And he actually led the league in interceptions in 1959 with seven. But uh, his number of 37 still leads all linebackers in history. After his playing career was done, he was a coach for several teams and later was named to the second team of the All-Decades team for the 1960s. But uh, apparently George Plumpton was doing an article with Bill Curry and they were, were talking about him and which guys that are in this car who had the, the worst legs, the worst stomach, and overall Shinnick wanted for some reason, the worst overall body. And he had the worst hips. He had the worst chest, <laughs> the worst neck, which outplayed things like the worst feet for Bubba Smith and the worst knees by Taz Anderson. So uh, that's something I guess you really don't want to be known for, but uh, – he was named the worst body in the history of the National Football League. Hmm. That, I don't know if that's a, a great uh, moniker that you'd want to adopt there. <laughs> right. So, yeah. Well, I've got to mention one, one other guy, and, and I'm on a Steelers roll here. We had another 66 that uh, only had one year with the Steelers, but it was a significant year. And that was Tom Newberry. And he was a guard center. Majority of his career was with the Rams uh, from uh, – 1986 all the way to 1994, but he came to the Steelers 1995 and started 15 games for them. And that's that uh, year, the first time that the Bill Cowher teams made the Super Bowl and they lost to the Dallas Cowboys, I believe it was the 95 season. And uh, um, he ended up in his career having two Pro Bowls two all pro seasons there. So I think the Steelers like to give that uh, Jersey 66 to their best guard. And uh, hopefully they can find another 66 in the near future <laughs> to uh, meet up to the credentials uh, of the three gentlemen we talked about today that uh, were Ooh, 66 right. were yes. black and gold. But I, I don't think Tom's going to make our list either, but uh, just another one that's significant to talk about uh, mention here. Mm-hmm. There's another player who, played in the league for 12 years, was undrafted, won three Super Bowl rings, played 189 games, and yet never started one game in his career. And we're talking about Lonnie Paxton, the center 
for New England and for three years for Denver. And the reason he never started was he was a long snapper. So he probably won't make our list today, but I want to recognize a long snapper for once and some of his accomplishments. But you you definitely have the trend uh, all throughout these uh, football by numbers that uh, you've been on with. You, you are a friend of the long snapper and the punter and kicker. That, that is for sure. We like to get some recognition with those guys. Yeah. <laughs> you definitely give them the love, and uh, I'm, I'm glad you do. You may remember the New York Jets uh, winning in 1969 when Joe Namath predicted that, the, the big win, and uh, one of the, the last guy from that team to retire uh, of the starters was Randy Rasmussen in 1981. And he played 207 games in the league, uh, which is still second most in the Jets history and most by a non-kicker since we're talking about kickers as well. So he won that Super Bowl and, and was twice all pro. And winning the Super Bowl, of course, is great for anyone, but Randy said something like, because that was the beginning of his career, he said, my thought after we won the Super Bowl was, wow, we'll do this every year. This is easy. And then I found out the realities of pro football. The people were calling and sending telegrams and everything else from all over the country. It was a great feeling. I was on top of the world. Of course, after that, he had to endure 11 consecutive non-winning seasons with the Jets. Yeah, that's that's some tough sailing there. That's for sure. But uh, another another great player. I, I don't think he's quite got has the uh, the mustard on his uh, resume here to to go and battle with these other fellows that we've talked about for those last two right. spots. Okay, uh, do you have anybody else that you want to bring up for consideration, well, or are we a ready to go? Others that might be okay. of, of we can think about. I don't know if they'll be uh, considered, but one of them is Myron Patios, a graduate of Notre Dame who played for Pittsburgh, the Rams, and Washington. And he was part of a 15-player trade uh, that went, went around in 1971 when George Allen left to go coach the Redskins. He made this trade to bring a lot of his good players with him. So he was another guy who refused to wear a face mask in the early days, had his nose broken several times. But he has been named uh, after those first four or five years with Pittsburgh on the Steelers all-time legends team. So um, one that you may remember, uh, again, Myron started though in 1961, and this is the 62 season. And on his way to three times, he was named to the Pro Bowl and played for 12 years, as we mentioned. Probably not enough to make our top 10 today as we, we kind of wrap up. But one guy that, that might is a guard named Bob Kowalikowski played from 66 through 77 and he played for Detroit. So uh, Ernie Chapman of the sports history network may, may like this one. He started every game for five straight seasons. The son also played the national football league, but he was uh, well liked by his uh, teammates. In fact, quarterback Greg Landry said of Bob, Bob was a little undersized compared to most of the offense alignment, but he made up with it with hard work and always going the extra measure in the weight room, the film room, and or during practice. So after football, he was a great contributor to social causes for the blind and for children's causes. And his wife was actually the Lions manager of accounting operations for a year. So the whole family got 
quite involved there. So Bob, uh, congratulate him on a 12-year career, 11 years wearing number 66. He spent his last year with the Packers. So probably not enough to make our top 10 list today, but I wanted to bring him in. I don't think we had any other Lions today. No, uh, Arnie would be definitely proud of you for, for doing that. Uh, <laughs> so I'm sure he's listening and smiling right now. Okay. Uh, do you have anybody else or are we ready for our deliberating? Yeah, I, think, I think we're ready. Yeah. Those were the only ones I thought might have a chance to make this very um, laudable top 10 list today. Okay. Now I'm going to go through and ones I, I think that uh, we, we want to take a look at again. You let me know if we missed anybody. Uh, okay. Tom, Tom Nalen, uh, Joe Jacoby, uh, Conrad Dobler, Harley Sewell, Jack Stroud, David DeCastro, uh, Bob Kolowoski, uh, Don Shimmick. And I don't I think know if the it, two that I might think of as maybe whittling the list would be Jacoby as one. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think he definitely deserves to be on there. So we'll put him in. So that takes us to nine. I'm thinking of Shinnick or Nalen. And Nalen was sort of coming up on my list here. Mm-hmm. But uh, not that I'm opposed to, to Shinnick either. Yeah. But I think I think Nalen's sort of a guy I feel should probably be on there. Yeah, I think we both agree on that one. Okay. All right. Well, hey, there's our 10. Let me go through real quick. Uh, in no particular order, we have uh, Ray Nitschke, Bulldog Turner, um, Kevin Gogan. I want to say Grogan. <laughs> uh, had to frame myself there. Uh, Bill Burgey, uh, Alan Fanica, Larry Little, Gene Hickerson, Billy Shaw, Joe Jacoby, Tom Nalen. And I think that's it. I think I got everybody there. Did we mention Bulldog Turner? Yes. Okay. Yep. yep. We got Bulldog on there also. All so. right. We got a good list. Yeah, that's a great list. That's a, that was a, a challenging one because there were so many good players to put on there. So I'm happy that's that's jumping up a lot here in these uh, number 60s. So good deal. Now, I don't know how you feel about it or if you noticed it yet, but uh, I know you use the, the pro football reference uh for these exercises uh, a lot like I do. And uh, recently, just this past week, we're uh, recording this on July 16th, but back on Monday, July 12th, the pro football reference uh, ended up getting some information from uh, John Turney and Nick Webster. Uh, John is the one that runs the pro football journal website, and they collected from uh, game films and game books and whatever else they could get their hands on the sack totals for players from 1961 to 1981 that were absent. If you remember the, the NFL made that an official stat in 1982. So the uh, pro football reference now has sacks all the way back to 1961, I believe might be the 1960 season, but I think it's 61. Uh, so that's kind of a, a great thing for us uh, football researchers looking at uh, the, the pro sack numbers for some of these defenders. Well, it's an incredible tool, and I just really uh, congratulate those gentlemen for putting that together. I can't imagine how long that took to wade through every single game and every single play. And I, I just looked at the list briefly, but there's some surprises on there about some of the, the leaders in some of the categories. And 
just really great to see. Again, we're going to we're going to see that other players are recognized for what they did for a statistic that no one thought existed. So I'm so happy to see that. And just goes that uh, that some of us who who research, not that we've ever done anything that incredible, uh, it really is appreciated. Yeah, uh, I believe to answer your one question, how long it took. I spoke with with John uh, a couple months back, and I believe he told me it was like 30 years of work uh, that that he had done. And I'm not sure how long uh, Nick had had done it, but uh, I can imagine. I I thought that was even uh, quite a feat to do it in 30 years, because that's that's a lot of statistics and a lot of game film and game books to look at. And you just have to hope that the the game statistics are available for something like that. And it's, it's difficult when you go back and sometimes it's even difficult verifying scores when we go way, way back, but for individual records, they're not always available. That's for sure. And a lot of those are handwritten. So that makes it even worse. They're not all typeset. Uh, like you would think uh, it's more of the modern uh, game books are some of them were, you know, somebody just scribbling down a number. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, uh, I know penmanship is not always the best. Myself oh, included. yes. <laughs> I, got, I got all excited once when I was researching a team and after not having a whole lot of luck going through newspapers, I went back and I someone had discovered a notebook uh, with handwritten notes about the results for this particular team, which was great, great news until I went back and I found out that the coaches who were responsible for writing in the scores maybe did them every couple of years by memory. So they weren't always accurate. <laughs> but that brings up a question I've been meaning to ask you. You just, you just spawned a memory in me by your, your that story. Uh-oh. Now you wrote um, your book on the, uh, what was the military Academy that you Live by oh, Morgan Park Military Morgan Park, Academy, and yeah. your father coached there, if I remember correctly. Correct. Yep. Now you got to go through their archives that they had that uh, somebody was going to toss aside, or they were going to go to the rubbish pile, and somebody ended up saving them and archiving them so that uh, people like yourself could could look through them. Now, how were those in? Were that were they all handwritten and uh, unorganized that you had to? filter through or you know what kind of condition was something like that yeah, surprisingly even though they went back almost 100 years a lot of the information was typewritten so they had uh, yearbooks which are very helpful of course in constructing a team those are usually fairly accurate we found a couple so then i would try and verify it by finding a newspaper account but uh, except for some handwritten correspondence a lot of the information was typewritten maybe it was a rule at the time for the school but i was quite surprised because even though when I've seen literature from a pro football team in the forties, a lot of it's handwritten uh, that the letters that were sent out to players uh, and other correspondence wasn't, wasn't typewritten. So yeah, the problem is we just discussed, you mentioned of being able to decipher what the guy is actually saying, even though it's all the English language, it sometimes doesn't read the same, but yeah, it was, uh, it was nice to be able to get to those archives and find, so many typewritten pages, which made it so much easier. Now, I'll put in the show notes uh, for listeners, uh, the links to get to uh, Joe's book on the Morgan Park Academy uh, football history. Uh, and so you can add that to your collection and um, be enjoyable. And what, what's the full title of that, Joe? That is called, uh, no, you really. You really I put you on the spot. Much. I know. I'm sorry. But that's Cannons <laughs> and Legends, the football history of Morgan Park Military Academy. 
I just wanted to test that memory and gosh, I couldn't get you to break. You, you still came through. <laughs> uh, you know, lucky I kind of cheated with a copy right next to me here. So that was, Oh, that's right. Yeah. You're probably right in your library there. So Amazon had a deal this week. So I had to buy one. I always wanted to read it. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, Joe, I, I thank you once again for your time. Oh, well, before we let you go, uh, what do we have coming up uh, in the near future here on uh, when football is football podcast? Well, next podcast, which will be released uh, in a week or so, is a lot of fun. It will, will be a, a trip back to the training camps way back when for the, both the Chicago Bears and the Chicago Cardinals. So we have some fun stories uh, in order to tell the whole, I guess, the travelogue of what these teams did. Uh, when the players themselves speak to us about what they ate, how they traveled, what their conditions were, and we learn about an angry Bears lineman sh- shooting a pistol through a ceiling to quiet down a rookie who was sleeping above them, uh, George Hellas looking for spies in the cornfields of Rensselaer, Indiana. So it's fun stuff. So that'll be on the Sports History Network uh, in about a week or so from uh, when we're talking now. So uh, that'll be... Uh, third week of july july nice. 19th okay well that, that's coming right up around the corner uh we might have this i think this podcast might come out a day after that that we're recording right now so it should be out uh and ready to go on joe's uh when football was football sportshistorynetwork.com and look for that latest episode or you know make sure you follow him on as well as all of our podcast uh hosts on the sports history network on your favorite podcast provider or go to sportshistorynetwork.com and all those episodes are right there for your listening pleasure uh joe i want to thank you once again for your time for your great knowledge and your excellent stories on these players that uh, make our favorite game uh, so interesting and beyond just the football field. And uh, these Jersey 66s couldn't have done it without you, my friend. Thank you very much. Um, thank you again for the opportunity. And uh, I appreciate the fact that we're able to share some of these truly wacky stories about the earlier days of the National Football League. And and I think uh, you have are signed up for Jersey number 70. So I think we'll be talking to you again real soon. All right. We can't wait. We'll be ready. Thank you again for that as well. To brand new kicks, got cash, looking slick with my row one tips everywhere. Always up front like a boss. Auburn, flossing up on Tiger Walk, Tuscaloosa, Crimson, Roll Tide. Girl blowing up at Ole Mystify. But down in College Station at Caulfield, 12th man, pumped a keg boy, and that's real. Game day, alumni, throwing up cash, showing up fast. Buckeye Nation about to smash. Game day, Eugene, Tucson, Athens, Cali, Trojans, Coliseum smashing Nebraska. Big Red going all out. Michigan, six figures in the big house. Texas, under burnt orange skies. Watching from the rails as the champions rise. Always be Sis 
Dazzle is a media blitz. Tailgate parties and some devious ish. Bikinis, kegs, barbecue chickens, Oklahoma. Oh, and feel the boom pickings. Turn it up, flame a bustin' on the hot. Georgia in the house, Sanford and Bobby Dodd, no matter where we roam, we callin' it home. Notre Dame, Palo Alto, or the Carrier Dome. It's the people we see. The fans, the celebrities, the roar, the crowd in the swamp at Tallahassee, Gainesville, Knoxville, Lincoln, or Seattle. With row one T's, you always ready for battle. Pasadena pageantry, smelling like roses. Glendale turned for fiestas. You know this, all and sweet as sugar, tossing up beads. Miami hot and juicy, squeeze the oranges, please. That's right, Row One Brand has teamed up with Sports History Network and we are offering a 15% discount. Go to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash ROW number one and use the coupon code SHN15 to get your 15% discount on the thousands of unique items of team posters, game program covers, game tickets, advertisements, more in baseball, pro and college football, pro and college basketball, more, and any gallery item up to the sizes on wood, metal, canvas, acrylic, or poster paper that's row one at sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash row one coupon code shn15 we're taking a peek over at the chains in the down marker it's fourth and long we're gonna have to punt the ball and get on out of here but we'll have another series tomorrow for your football history headlines so be sure to tune in we invite you to check out our website pigskindispatch.com not only to see the daily football history but to experience positive football with our many articles on the good people of the game as well as our own football comic strip Cleet Marks Comics pigskindispatch.com is also on social media outlets Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel to get all of your positive football news and history special thanks to the talents of Mike and Gene Monroe as well as Jason and Neff for letting us use their music during our podcast. PigskinDispatch.com is a proud affiliate of the Sports History Network, the headquarters of sports yesteryear.